So the summer series is uh, since you asked. Since you asked, uh, obviously the summer has a limited amount of weeks. You've probably got a lot more questions than we're going to cover in these, I think, 10 weeks or so that we're doing this series. But the question that we're on today is, is God really involved in the details of my life? These big words of like, is God eminent with an E, like up there, way out there and holy? Or, or is he imminent with an I, right up here and close, involved in the details of my life? The broad strokes of God doing big things are all over the place. Over the last year, we spent the year going through the story. Uh, this idea of thinking about life with God in terms of the upper story, the big movements of God, what He's doing in creation to create and grow and develop and redeem and forgive, to gather and to unify all people in Him. Alongside that, we consider the lower story, the details of my life. How does it interact with this big story, the details of your life? And we asked this question in uh, 2013. This morning I was look. I, I couldn't remember how many people were living in the world today, so I get on, went to World-O-Meter, Worldometer. It's a current clock counting. There's another one counting out there called National Debt. I like to look at the one that, uh, you know, is <laughs> counting people. And then in the half hour I watched it, like 100,000 people were born. Click, 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 click. Click, click. I'm thinking to myself, who am I? One person on the face of this planet with seven billion people that God would care for me about the details of my life. And the big stuff, but you know, even these little things, the stuff that maybe we wouldn't, tri we wouldn't trivialize him with. But then I'm thinking to myself also, it's not such a new question. If you have your Bibles, it's Psalm 8, right down in the middle of your Bible somewhere. Not such a new question. Is God involved in the details of my life? He's got all this other stuff going on. Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You've taught children and infants to tell of your strength silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. It's not such a new question. Is God involved in the details of my life? Does he really care about me? And yeah, maybe I get along with, he might care about the big stuff in my life, the big salvation question, uh, who it is that maybe that I marry and the type of kids we raise up. But what about the, de the little things in my life? I mean, we've got big stuff, we've got small stuff. Found this little picture, you know, I've got the big stuff. Everybody wants to talk about big stuff. But oftentimes we kind of feel like small potatoes. That's just small potatoes. It's God really worried about the details of my life. Another place we find uh, Jeremiah 1, just a little bit past Psalms. Go over there if you would. Why do we read God's Word? Why do we look back to it when we're asking these questions? Remember, we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. We can be reminded of what the truth of God is, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
as we examine our own lives in this question, does God really care about me? Jeremiah verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, Jeremiah's getting this call. He's learning how to listen to God. Learning how to listen to God. Chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord gave me this message, Jeremiah says. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah would go on to do a lot of different things, to tear down and destroy, to build up and bring together. And over this lifetime that he lived, I'm sure he was asking this question, does God really care about the details of my life? The details. There's a saying that says the devil is in the details. Why? Why might that be true? Why would the devil want to be in the details of your life? in my life. It might be because that's where the greatest transformation in, in our lives comes. Way down deep in the little details. And if he can stop us from being transformed by God's love in that place, we never will have to worry about the big things. Everybody has to learn how to listen to God to learn how to receive God's Word into their own life. Oftentimes asking, why can't we see the big things? Where is God in these big things? Where's God down in the heart of the city? Where's God out in West Des Moines? Where's God bigger? Where's God over in the Middle East? These problems that just keep moving and moving and moving never seem to go away. And the big things, how do we listen to them? How do we see? How do we have these eyes that can see the work of God? Remember the psalm? You set the sun and the moon and the stars in place. You, you set them in place. How do we see that big movement of God and know that it's Him? Everybody has to learn how to listen to God. If we look back at like some of the people in the Bible and we think about their lives that are witnessed to in this book, People like Abraham. God coming to him and saying, in, in some visions and some conversations with Abraham, saying, I'm going to do some crazy big things in your life. I'm going to actually like, turn you into a nation that's got so many kids that you, can't, you won't even be able to count them. It'll be like the stars in the sky. But mostly in, during that time, Abraham's probably like, yeah, that's a really big story and that's really cool. But what I'm really frustrated with down in these details of my life, Lord, is I can't have, my wife and I can't have any kids. This is what I'm waking up sweating about every night. It's what we're arguing and what separates us in our marriage. The frustration, me blaming her, she blaming me, we both blaming you. Can't get what it is. We're, we think we're here to do. These are the details of my life, Abraham's probably saying. And over a period of time, actually about a decade, he has this conver conversation with God about his kids. Meanwhile, God's laying on the upper story to him too. I'm going to grow you and bless you, give you so many nations and tribes. We're, we're going to bring the whole world back and reconcile it through you to God. Had to learn how to listen to God, God's influence in his life. Moses, same way. 
Moses' interaction with God, you know, he's out, he's run off because he uh, killed some guy in Egypt, doesn't want to get in trouble. So he leaves the Egyptian land, wondering where God's leading him. Next thing you know, he's out, you know, shepherding, and he sees this burning bush. And he thinks, what's up with that? Goes over to it and starts talking to it. And he finds that it's the angel of the Lord. The Holy Spirit himself. God himself. In this burning bush. Could you imagine that? How does God manifest his word and his voice in your life today? A kid comes along. His mom makes a deal with God, let me have a kid. And and so God gives her this boy named Samuel. Samuel gets set apart for the priesthood, and he's being trained up by Eli, this priest. And one night they're out camping, and and, uh, Samuel hears God calling him, the voice of God. He runs over to Eli and says, hey, Eli, you know, why are you calling me? It's kind of a fun joke, but, you know. He goes, I didn't call you. Get back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. He has to learn how to hear the voice of God. He hears it again and he comes back over and wakes Eli back up. Why are you calling me? Eli's like, "Uh uh-uh, it's not me. Get back over there and get to bed. Samuel does it again and he comes back again and Eli tells him, that's God calling you. The next time he calls you, you answer him. So God calls again, and Eli finally figures this out. He has to be taught how to listen to the voice of God by God himself, by Eli, a prophet who he put in place to do some of this teaching, the way we gather as community and share our gifts with each other. God calls again, and Eli says, Here I am, and the relationship grows. get into the New Testament, on and on and on and on and on and on the list goes. Peter, James, John, Jesus' mother Mary, Joseph, all trying to figure out how is this story of God playing out in my life? What about the details of my life? Jesus' father Joseph, I don't want to marry this gal. She got pregnant. It's not me. What What are you talking about? How do you hear God's voice in that? Or Mary getting pregnant and not having had sex. How does that work? How how do we learn how to listen to God when these events in our life continue to play out? The details of our life. They've happened to us already this morning. Is God in them? What are you hearing Him say? What's He guiding and teaching? Well, you know, Eric, you know, a couple thousand years ago, it would have been easier for Peter and James and John and all the boys and all the women to follow Jesus because He was there. Would have been, would have been a lot easier because He was there and they could have spoken to the details, asked Him the questions. Not just the big stuff, but they, they would have been able to take their little stuff to Him too. And as a matter of fact, if, if we've read some of the Gospels, we know they took their little stuff to him. Wondering, does God really care about the details of my life? Whether it's the big stuff or the little stuff, we all have to listen. I want to share just a short video with you that has a little fun way of depicting this and how it is we might consider 
how God speaks to us in our own lives. Take a look. Jesus, why are you doing anything today? Hmm? I mean, like, when I read the Bible, I see you do these incredible things, you know, like raising the dead and healing the sick and feeding the 5,000. Right. Why doesn't that kind of stuff happen today? Well, Drew, things are still happening all around you. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Like, for example, I'm thirsty and I want some water. Uh, do you have any water for me? Well, of course you don't. See, this is what I'm talking about. It's like you don't even care about me. No, Drew, things are still happening, even today. You just need to pay attention. Okay. Hey, Drew, I just went to the store and they're having a buy one, get one free. What? You want a water? Yeah. Okay, enjoy. Oh. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Huh? Mm. That's great. That is great. Now, you didn't have the water. Right. Then you had it. Boom. I know. It's so lucky that Cat walked by, you know, with two for one. Did you say lucky? Well, yeah. No, Drew, you didn't have the water. Right. You needed it. Then you had it. You see how that works? Huh? Oh, I huh? see what you're doing. Oh, I'm so rude. I'm sorry. Hey, Kathleen, thank you so much for the water. <laughs> Appreciate it. Now, would you show me something amazing? Amazing? Yeah, I want to see amazing things, you know, like Moses parting the Red Sea. That was amazing, right? How about the next time I'm stuck in traffic? I hit the steering wheel, the cars will split, and I cruise on through. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. I have a better idea. Keep your eyes open. Okay. I do. Oh, excuse me. Yes. Hey, you oh, uh, dropped your wow. wallet. Wow. Thank you. Sure, no problem. Okay, show me something amazing. Yes, amazing. of course. Right. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. You didn't take anything from my wallet. Whoa, 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 I'm not a thief, right? No. No, you dropped your wallet, I picked it up and gave it back to you. Droppy, picky, givey. No takey. I know, you know, thanks for your honesty. Here's 20 bucks. What? Wait, hold on. She just gave me $20 for counteracting gravity? <laughs> That's amazing. Yes, that is amazing. Oh, man, how awesome. Now, would you show me something big? Excuse me? Show me something big. Drew, how can I expect you to see me in the big things when you can't even see me in the little things? What a great question. Isn't it? How can we expect to see God in the big things if we don't walk with Him in the little things? How could we ever expect to have a, a hit seven out of ten free throws, the big thing, if we're not practicing it every day? thinking about the technique and the movements. How could we ever expect to save for retirement? Like one of these big, they tell me it's a nest egg. We're just getting ready for empty nest. Those two, wait, those two things aren't supposed to go together. We have to think about the little things. The disciples, as Jesus was coming to the end of his life here on earth, we're asking him about these big things. Show us some big stuff. He'd already shown them about everything. Healing, raising people from the dead. Speaking truth. Revealing the Father in heaven. Toward the end of his life, he says this to him. He says this to his disciples. It's in uh, John chapter 14. Right before he went uh, to the cross. He tells the, the disciples, I'm going to be leaving. They didn't really get what he was talking about. He knew he was going to be crucified, but he, he'd already promised that he would never leave him. So how does it work? How does the details of the disciples' life work out? Because they wanted to keep him. 
Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads to all truth. As a matter of fact, he's the same as me, Jesus says. He's the same as the Father. We get down into this mystery of the Trinity. And we're not going into a full exposition of the Trinity. You'll have to wait for your pastor to do that one. I'll ask the Father and He'll give you another advocate and He'll lead you in all truth. He's going to come and do the same thing that I've done for you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to be a friend. He's going to be a guide. He's going to convict you in some areas of your life that could be better. Then He's going to bring some empowerment to you to start living as God has called you to live. Same things I've done, Jesus is saying. I was just thinking about this the other day. I mean, what if Jesus as a man, a physical man on earth, would have lived forever in that sense? How many people could he have interfaced with? We know that he had crowds sometimes gathered, you know, that would, might fit in Wells Fargo. But world population around that time was, you know, somewhere under, you know, estimates, different estimates, maybe a million at most. They didn't really have, like, little microphones where they could do this. So to speak and to guide and to shape that large of a crowd would, would have been really difficult. But when Jesus goes away, he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit isn't just going to be somebody that walks around with you and maybe you see him on Sunday morning on a weekend or, or maybe you see him at your job once a day or, or on a vacation that you go to a concert in every once in a while. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. This is something different. The Holy Spirit's going to come and it did come on the day of Pentecost. The wind rolled in. Reminds me of going out, tornado warnings go, family runs downstairs. I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I wonder out on the deck. Maybe we can see something big. But when the wind comes, that storm front comes, we can feel that. When the, when the thunder gets really powerful, we hear that. And when one really pops and explodes, it moves us. We can feel it like in our whole being. This is what was happening on the day of Pentecost. This is the type of thing that happens when God comes close. It moves us. It's supernatural. It's something else. And everybody knew it. Next thing you know, they're ball of fire. Not so new. Read back in the Old Testament. Ball of fire comes in this house where these guys had been gathering. And it splits out and it looks like these just crazy stuff. Tongues of fire. Could you imagine that in this room? A little uh, ball of fire somehow appears in here. It splits out and it goes over everybody's head and it's like this tongue of fire. It looks like a tongue. Kind of weird. Never seen anything like that before. Abraham had to learn how to listen to the voice of God. Moses did. Samuel did. David did. Saul did. Every, every single human being on the planet learning to listen to God. What's it look like? What's it sound like? Sometimes it's supernatural. Sometimes it's just maybe out of the voice of some guy from Dallas Center with a pink shirt on. Or maybe not. Because when we start stirring it up, when we start speaking about God himself, the theology, how we study and think about and walk and live with God, 
we start worshiping in spirit and in truth. And the reality is, is that the thing goes supernatural, way beyond ourselves. The tongues split out. Uh, it causes a ruckus in the town. All the educated people come over to the, the very blue-collar house where this is happening. They come in and say, what's up with these dudes? These guys are like, they're not educated. And they're, they're, aren't these guys the Galileans? Like Southsiders or Eastsiders or something. They felt that type of dynamic. then the power of God overcomes the whole thing. God starts moving and he starts speaking to people in their own native languages that, that these Galileans had no idea how to speak these languages. And people start hearing the word of God. They start listening in the way that Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Jacob and Joseph and Mary and Peter and Bartholomew Learn to listen to the voice of God. And it was unmistakable. What it was signaling is that a time will come, and indeed it has, when we will worship both in spirit and in truth. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to live with the Heavenly Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask the Father to send you an advocate. He'll lead you in all spirit and all truth. He'll be the same for you that I have been, Jesus says. What's it look like to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives? What's it look like? There's a lot of, lot of explanations for it, all the way from Old to New Testament, lot in New Testament. If we want to get one little chapter, write it down. It's Romans 8. It gives us a good picture of what it is, life with the Spirit. Here's what he does. He gives life. He dwells in us. He actually lives in here. He's come in. Lord, I, I want to receive you into my life. I want to make you uh, the Lord and Savior of my life. Get the moving truck ready. He's coming in. Then something happens. This conversation with God himself begins. And he starts turning our heart and mind to the very thoughts to the very life that God gives us. And we begin to be transformed. He governs us with life and peace. He testifies that we're children of God. God himself testifying to God that we are his children. That's a pretty good team to be on. And he helps us in our weakness. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us that, that we're to rejoice, pray, and give thanks nonstop. Yeah, but what about the frustration in the, in the hard parts of my life? You know this little piece in the middle that said pray, rejoice, pray, and give thanks? We're to let all our requests may be made known to God. The good stuff, the hard stuff, the stuff that we want to yell at Him for. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Paul goes on to write in this letter to the Thessalonian church, don't quench the spirit. Don't stifle the spirit, NLT says. Don't stifle it. Don't quench it. Pay attention to it. Talk to God. Pray. Rejoice. Pray. And give thanks. Don't quench the spirit, Paul says. It's God himself living in you. 
He wants to give you and help you be transformed in the very likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. One last thing. There's a young uh, boy, young man that Paul was mentoring. His name was Timothy. Starting up a new church. Probably met in a gym. Had trouble getting people to volunteer to set up chairs. No, just kidding. Bringing a new community of God together is what Timothy was doing. It's what he was called to do by God. Learning how to listen to what God's call in his life was. This Holy Spirit living in him, guiding him to be God's voice to the people around. And Timothy had some struggles in it. And Paul writes this to him. It's from 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 6. I want to start, actually, I want to start a little bit before that. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writing to Timothy. I remember your genuine faith, for you, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. You see, they believed God. They were followers of Jesus Christ, and so this Spirit fills their life up. His grandma and his mom. Is God involved in the details of his life? Sounds like it. Paul continues, and I know the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Paul reminding Timothy, this, you, have the, you have God himself. Has promised to come and dwell in your heart and in your mind, your, your entire being. Don't quench it. Keep rejoicing. Keep praying. Keep giving thanks. Have this conversation with God. Bring it all to Him. He lives in you. Walk with Him and fan it like a flame. Maybe it's gone out. Get some kindling. Get some kindling. Where's that name tag Andy had on that said prayer partner? Get some kindling with the prayer partner. Get some kindling with a little humility, maybe down on some knees in prayer. Get some kindling. Don't quench it. Light it up again. Ask God, because He will. It's what He is, it's what He does. I remind you, fan into flames the spiritual gift, the Holy Spirit that God's given you. It'll change everything. God is involved in the details of your life. Meet Him there today. It's what the disciples did with Jesus, walking with Him down the roads, healing with Him, seeing Him teach. They saw something. The end of his life, Jesus gathers it up and he wants to assure them that he's always going to be with them. And so he, uh, they're at a meal that they had eaten a lot of times together. And Jesus takes some bread, he breaks it and gives thanks, eating with his friends. He says, I'm going to do something different now. 
He takes some bread, he breaks it, gives thanks, and he gives it to him, saying, this is my body given for you. Don't ever forget that I'll be with you always. Then he takes the cup, and he's standing there with it, looking at his friends, and he says, this cup is the new covenant, something new that I'm doing, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this to remember me, that I'm always with you, that nothing can separate us because of the work that I'm doing. And so we pray together the way that Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.